Welcome to MicroCollege, a podcast exploring innovative, place-based, and humanly scaled responses to the crises in higher education, meaning, and discourse in our time. Everyone knows that colleges and universities are at a breaking point, but what can be done? I'm Jacob Hunt, the director of Thoreau College, a micro-college in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Join us each week as we tackle this question head-on. Welcome to MicroCollege. This week on the podcast, we are excited to have as our guest one of the longest-serving and really most popular uh, instructors for the Driftless Folk School, um, which is is another uh, component of the organization, including Thoreau College. Um, and Linda Conroy is a bioregional herbalist, herbal and traditional food educator, and a community organizer. She dedicates her life to connecting with the green world as well as sharing the wisdom of the earth. Her primary mentors are the plants who never cease to instill a sense of awe in her daily life. Linda has a certificate in permaculture design, which she completed through the International Earth Activist Program and has been a student of compassionate nonviolent communication for over 20 years. Linda has participated in the doula training through the Seattle School of Midwifery and the Midwifery Assistant Program through the Farm Midwives in Tennessee. In addition, she's a trained wilderness first responder for over a decade, Linda has presented well-received well programs and apprenticeship programs throughout the Pacific Northwest, Midwest, as well as other parts of the country. She's the creator of Wild Eats Community Meals, Moonwise Herbs LLC, and the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. And as I mentioned, for, for over 15 years through the Driftless Folk School and more recently through Thoreau College, Linda has been teaching a variety of very popular classes dealing with herbs, um, foraging uh, for wild foods and herbs, soap making, um, pine needle and sweetgrass basketry, um, herbal gifts, many other things. Very, very, very popular classes. So thank you so much for being with us, Linda. Mm, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's fun to talk about classes and what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you've been... Um, You've been a teacher of, of many people um, and uh, in, in different levels and different contexts. So it's a real honor to, to have you here today. So Yeah, I actually think you said a decade and that must be a really old bio because I really <laughs> am going on my third decade of teaching. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. We should update that. That's from the folks. Yes. Work. <laughs> Funny, time slips by in those two. Right. <laughs> Well, and ha so half of that, because that was probably my original bio, half of my time I have been teaching for the folk school. Yeah. yeah. So maybe even stepping back before that, um, one of the one of the things we like to do here on the Microcollege podcast is to ground our conversations in people's biographies. So, mm -hmm. and especially their early adulthood. So I wonder if you could reflect upon your life, where you were when you were 18 to 21 years old. Where were you? What was influencing your life and uh, you know what, what stands out as as the important kind of landmarks of that period of your life? Right. So it's interesting because I um, actually took a long period of time between high school and college where I didn't go to college. I spent a lot of time just, you know, sorting things out and just trying to, you know, discover what my life was going to be about. I, um, you know, just did a lot of traveling. I traveled across the country and um, just was really curious about what was in the wider world. I actually grew up outside of Philadelphia 
And I, uh, when I finished high school, I started um, actually working as a dental assistant. <laughs> and then I, um, you know, did some, like I said, did some traveling. And I really, I didn't go back to college until I was about 21. And I, you know, had more focus at that point, some things that happened in my life. And I just felt like, okay, I'm ready to dive in and really um, take a deep dive. I had, you know, had some fun, <laughs> did some adventurous things, and then um, decided to go back to college. And I went to college and I was very focused on studying social work. I really wanted to contribute. I saw social work as an avenue to change. I really, at that point, I wanted to change the world like many young people do. You know, I was collecting information. I just thought, gosh, if I can um, go out and support people and help people through this avenue, um, it would be just really meet my deep needs and um, would be a way for me to have some kind of devotion, really. It wasn't like an academic um, endeavor for me. At that point, I really was looking for something to commit my life to. And social work seemed like a good um, avenue for that. So I went to college for four years for social work and for my undergraduate degree. And then I went right on and um, also um, completed a master's degree in social work and also law and social policy. So it just became my, you know, those young adventurous times, which I, you know, I think like your gap year college is, is about that, right? It's like really having life experiences so that then you can really find what you want to be committed to. And that's what happened for me. I, I took some gap years <laughs> before that was even a, an idea um and then went on to um, college and really thrived at that point I don't think I would have thrived at 18 or 19 in a college setting um because I really wasn't in high school I wasn't that academically inclined I was more inclined you know social things and um that kind of stuff so but when I got to um, college I was really able to apply myself and um, just really dove in wholeheartedly because I had a passion at that point um so I think that was really um such a pivotal point going from that um you know that those years of wandering and exploring into um really um you know being able to take a deep dive and so that's um and it was interesting because I did that. I went right from undergraduate through to graduate school and completed two master's degrees when I was in graduate school and thought I might go to law school, but luckily I got diverted from that. <laughs> I always feel like that was a lucky diversion. <laughs> I'm not sure how that would have played out for me. But interestingly enough, when I went to, um, uh, I, I went to college and graduate school outside of Philadelphia, where I had grown up, and then I moved very quickly to Seattle, Washington, where I had traveled when I was younger, and really loved that area. And so I moved there and started looking for a social work job. And um, had done a lot of medical social work. So I ended up working with people living with AIDS for a couple of years. And interestingly enough, one of my coworkers introduced me to herbs and herbalism. <laughs> and so then I started being mentored in that trajectory. And, you know, here I am all these years later, and that's, you know, become my passion. Um, 
And so there's there's just so many, I've, I've taken a lot of different um, paths and and they kind of it's it's fun because because they really come together. People will say, well, what are you doing with your social work degree? I'm like, I use it. I, I apply it every day <laughs> because I work with people. Right. Social. Right. Yes. It's very social. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but maybe yeah, that's a good thread. Maybe you could make that a bit more explicit for people who are asking that question. So how you know how doing the work with, with you know wellness herbs, kind of natural medicine and nutrition, and relate that to 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 social work. How how does that connect it? Right. Well, it's totally connected because health isn't just about your physical you know, well-being. It's about your whole well-being. <laughs> and it's about community well-being. I think that's why I love teaching for the folk school, because, you know, even though it's not always perfect, I know the vision is to have a well-functioning, thriving community. And so that is part of it. So that's why social work um, really drew me in. But then there's that combination, like we need healthy individuals, both physically, spiritually, psychologically, to have a healthy community. And so, you know, I'm striving for that. And, you know, I do think the folk school strives for that, too. I'm sure Thoreau College is striving for that. And um, we do that by being together and supporting each other. And so they're very combined. Um nourishment is a big part of my work as an herbalist really um and that's why you know i always say to you i like to cook lunch for my students <laughs> because the learning experience when you're well nourished is richer you know and i really see them as being combined together and a lot of people say they really enjoy my classes and sometimes when people can articulate it, they will say, I enjoy it because I felt like we were in a community for the day or the weekend or however long people are studying with me. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So this, uh, in, in preparation for this conversation, you know, I, I you know, ended up following some strands of reading about, about the history of, of the herbal movement uh, in, in modern times and, and, and farther back. But, you know, um, it's, this is, this is a, this is, of course, an ancient, deep kind of well of wisdom. You know, global, regional, all sorts of different different backgrounds of of relating to plants and relating to the body, and 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 but also building community in a way. Um, so, uh, and and you you are a real leader in continuing and carrying that on in, in contemporary times through apprenticeships, through these herbal conferences, and through the classes that you do in different places. Um, so I, I'm curious to know how you learned what you know about herbs that you are now teaching to other people. Right. And well, in contrast to my academic social work training, I was apprentice trained and I've apprenticed with several different women um, who both formally and informally. My first teacher was one of my co-workers at the Northwest AIDS Foundation, and she started teaching me about herbs. And um, I saw that people who were utilizing herbs in that setting were healthier and were thriving, even if they were living with HIV and AIDS. And so it really drew me in to have this interest for my own health, first and foremost. So that's where I was mentored initially was the interest in my own health. And then just seeing how that could, you know, be brought out, it it drew me to go and apprentice with other women and go and live with them and spend time with them and see not how do I treat disease with herbs, because that is one way of thinking about it. 
<laughs> but how do I live a life way where the hearts are, are a heartbeat? Because the plants and a lot of traditional cultures around the world have this relationship with plants that's very ancestral, ancestrally based, as, as you were noting. Um, not that it's not all a scientific medical model. And so when you're apprentice trained, you're learning to live and eat and breathe and be with the plants and have a relationship with them and utilize that relationship to be able to bring the plants into your own daily life, also offer the, um, that opportunity to other people. And so that's how I was trained. And that's how I train people is through an apprenticeship process where it's a mentoring and you spend time. And if you can live with a person, that's spectacular. We don't see that um, kind of model happening as much anymore but it's a I really like it in contrast to the academic training I really like apprentice training yeah this is something that's been fascinating to me uh, I've done um again some some of my own research and reading about it going back to the to the European kind of models of master apprenticeship journeyman you know those those kind of relationships go back to the early medieval period and all kinds of different crafts and trades and and almost always in in that world it was you know you're moving into the into the household as an apprentice you're you're joining the family and there's a contractual relationship there's also part of that is is you know you are really coming under the protection and the care of the of the master right mm -hmm. and you were working for them and uh you know it is also even in in medieval times one of those places where where women were actually entering into trades in different ways there was there was it was one of the places that that upward mobility could happen in across gender lines actually um mm -hmm. so in your can you describe your apprenticeship programs as you run them now like what how long do they last how many people are you working with how do you know what is the what is the what does it look like well, I have several different ways people can apprentice with me. And I do offer a residential program where people can come and live here on my land for three week chunks at a time. And um, so that's a very intensive day in and day out, eating all your meals together and working together. And, and I love that because there's spontaneous learning that happens in that. When you have a classroom academic setting, it's very structured and you have a syllabus and you teach particular things because you're, you know, you're kind of um, bound by time and, you know, and you want to make sure you impart certain things, which is important when you're teaching someone something. But when you have the opportunity to actually live and eat and breathe with people, you have these spontaneous learning experiences that are invaluable that, that you can't, that they're gold. And I love as a as a mentor, I love those opportunities because, you know, and, and it sounds silly, but as an herbalist, somebody might cut their finger, right? <laughs> They're bleeding. And I'm like, oh, herbalist opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they live and in person get to see how to stop bleeding and how to, you know, put some compression on and what herbs to apply and then how to wash a wound. And you know, so it, it sounds silly, but it's it's really powerful i mean i can teach that as a theoretical idea but to actually have the experience and not that i go out of my way to have people cut themselves but <laughs> but it happens you know we're, we're working you know we're trimming or burning something yeah. <laughs> it just happens <laughs> and so 
that live in opportunity is is just so special and unique and it's there's nothing you can't you can't get some things that you get there anyway any other way so i also have a program where women come and spend one full day a week with me and that happens spontaneous learning happens there too but not quite as much when you're as when you're day in and day out um, but those women can spend if they want to all three seasons with me and um, some of them go on to intern like last year a woman had just finished up her third year of studying with me and you know when you study that long you, you know you're, you've obviously made a much bigger commitment than someone who comes for just a shorter period of time and you know people have have different needs and especially in this um day and age i mean not everybody is going to take three weeks out of their life to be here um although when pe when women do i really encourage them to savor it because it's pretty rare you can do that in your life you know if you're young and you're able to do it and you um you know you're looking at the future a lot as I always say you know this is really special that you've taken this time for yourself and to really focus in on something and really um, give yourself that space and time um, so there's the three-week program the weekly program I have started to run a year-long uh, virtual apprenticeship program and to be honest with you I was a little resistant to it initially sure. um but it started, of course, it started shortly before the pandemic, although it wasn't because of the pandemic that it started. Most of my programs have started because someone asked me to do something, like even the apprenticeship program originally started. I was working in an herb shop and one of my coworkers said to me, she said, can I come and learn from you? And I'm like, okay, you can come to my house every week. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so she started coming to my house every week. And then that became my weekly apprenticeship program. So right before the pandemic, a woman from Ireland contacted me and she said, I will really want to apprentice with you. And I'm not really sure how to make that happen. I'm like, well, let's talk about it. And so I put out a call to see if there were other women who wanted to virtually meet and do an apprenticeship. And so I did. And I said, this is a little bit of an experiment. So let's see how it goes. And, you know, part, partnership. And it went really well. I My big thing I was worried about was, could I get women out in the field to actually interface with plants through Zoom, <laughs> through this right. medium? And so I had assignments where they were spending a lot of time out in the field, identifying plants, going through, submitting their findings to me, and then interacting. I was sending them back out in the field, sending them into their kitchens to make things. And it actually has, um, on my fourth group of women who've gone through that program, and it's turned out to be really successful. I mean, they really get hands-on experience. And they have, you know, regular time with me every week where they can ask a lot of questions. And then they're doing lots of reading and field work in between. And then if they're nearby, they can come to my in-person classes and help. So, you know, with the folk school, I often bring students with me to help me, <laughs> which is really such a gift to, for me to have them help. And then also for them to be there and, and be in the experience. Yeah. So those are my 
uh, current apprentice offerings and it's it's very rich and it's um you know it, there are opportunities to meet lots of needs i do have also a monthly program that meets um for eight months once a month as well for a full weekend so lots of different um Amazing. ways and like i said it's a lot out of people's needs and requests um not so much out of me um thinking oh i want to offer an apprentice right <laughs> These remote participants, are they in different like bioregions and different climates? Yeah, and all over the world. <laughs> That's been fun because um, I've traveled a lot. So I do know plants in a lot of places so I can support them. And um, and it's fun for the other students because we meet as a group um, once a week and where we can ask questions and share our findings. And so they learn from each other in that way. And that's really fun. Fascinating. Wow. And so I think you know, one of the things that emerges in talking to you and listening you know, to, your, to your story, like there is, um, you know, again, you, you seem to be, you're tapping into a, a really ancient kind of archetype of of the wise woman herbalist, right? The village, you could, if you want to, I think something that will resonate with more people and they'd understand it more quickly would be to say village herbalist. Uh -huh. Just because it, it just, you know, it makes more sense in people's minds. Um, well, the wise women were the village herbalist. But, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just a certain way of, 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 of being in the world, of being of service to your community in a way that, you know, I think like, I mean, can you say a bit more about that? Like clearly teaching yeah. is a big part of it, and but what else is it? Right. It's so many things, you know, it is of being of service and it's a dedication kind of uh, lifestyle, you know, really being of, in, you know, wanting to contribute to in whatever way presents itself. Uh, because what you're, hear, you're hearing me say is I'm seeing what's presenting what the needs are and then if i have capacity then i'm i'm you know showing up and trying to contribute in that way so um an example of that which was you know something that i had not known it's really odd sometimes how you prepare yourself for something and you don't even know you're doing it <laughs> i we've probably had that experience yeah yeah and with the pandemic was such an example for me. So I had years ago, I, I'm a lifelong learner. And I think that's another thing that um, is important in, in how I'm functioning and being out in the world. I'm always curious and wanting to learn myself, not just teach, but learn as well. So I had gone to Cuba a number of years ago, and I went um, as a on a um, tour and the focus was alternative medicine and, uh, you know, regenerative agriculture, permaculture. So we were touring different areas, talking to different people about what they were doing, what they're doing there. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, Cuba has had to be very creative and, and resilient <laughs> in, in a world that has really limited resources. And so we met with their emergency response team at one point and we were talking to them and they were talking about how every citizen in cuba knows what their responsibility is in a crisis like you are supposed to check on uncle john and or you are supposed to go to the corner and report back to this group or everybody just knows what they would do 
And as I was listening to that, I was like, wow, that's really interesting because I don't know what my role is. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, ho- and nobody here knows yeah. what the United States knows what their role is in an emergency. Be a consumer, right? Right, I guess so. <laughs> shopping, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, for me, it brought up this question of, oh, well, how do I contribute? How do I, what is my role? How can I utilize what I bring to the table to, so I'll create a role for myself. And then I started teaching my first aid, herbal first aid classes. And when I present on that topic, I tell people to make a role, to create a role for themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm encouraging other people to do that too. So come to the pandemic, you know, we go into February and March and it becomes clear this is problematic and people are scared and people don't know what to do and nobody really knows what's happening. No matter how you feel about it, it's very confusing, you know. So I thought, well, I have some skills and tools. I actually felt pretty centered through the whole thing. I knew it was a crisis, but I had some herbal allies. I had some inner resources and and sense of resiliency that I had been cultivating. And I thought, I have something to offer here. So I decided I would do these things called herbal hangouts. And I started doing them um, teleseminar fashion, you know, and one night a week. And I did it for 13 weeks to provide people with education and tools and practical. A lot of it was practical, you know, breathing exercises. Here's herbs you can ingest. Here's how you can maybe support some other people in your life. And how can you stay centered in an emergency? And so I made it, I just showed up and I had already for, you know, a number of years been preparing to be of service in an emergency. Little did I know that was what it was going to be. But that's what I did. And I feel I I developed some literature out of that that I still now share with people. And just the whole thing, it just was really valuable. I don't remember exactly what your question was. No, that's perfect. (laughs) But hopefully I answered it. I was a little caught up because I I really enjoyed, not that I enjoyed that we were having a pandemic, but I was grateful that I could contribute in some way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, no, that was right on topic. I think that, um, you know, this, the sense of what, uh, of of a role within a community, you know, that, that a person can understand is something I think I hear from all of our students, right? Like who, what is the, what is the purpose of my life? And one of the ways is is how do I how do I fit in into the kind of the the resiliency the health of of the community in which I live and 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 I think yeah you've got a really clear one <laughs> and it's yeah well yeah that's a living breathing example yeah <laughs> <laughs> that I could have never planned that was that was the thing of it. it was just like wow how how on some level did the universe and and that's a thing I think. Um, one thing I can say about that that really is curious to me, and I'm I'm continually trying to bring myself back to center about this, is if I trust the universe has a has a has some kind of path that I don't understand, <laughs> how do I find the threads of that and follow that, you know, and not get distracted by the things that 
are distracting. I mean, there's just so many distractions like consumerism and, um, you know, fear. And there's just so many things that can distract us from staying centered and following the path. And, you know, it's something I, I have to say, I really admire that I've seen in, in you in the years that I've known you is you have a commitment to something and you continually, even when something gets hard, I've seen you, you know, um, really continue to, you know, to change it, but, but continue the, the thread of the path. And I think, I think that's hard to do in this um, day and age because we get distracted by so many things. And, you know, I just really, I actually really admire that about you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, I think uh, resilience of that kind, I think is, is built up of being a, part of a strong community and um, certainly something that, that I'm striving for. Um, and we're striving for here, I think, to, to cultivate in people. Um, you know, uh, the comments, you know, thinking about a role, thinking about this master apprenticeship relationship. Um, last week, we spoke with uh, Zach Stein, who is a who's a philosopher of education. Um, and one of the things we ended up speaking about and something that his work is involved with is the the crisis of authority, right? Um, a, an appropriate especially teacherly authority. Um, we can see, you know, through the pandemic, other things that have happened in, in our recent history, all forms of authority um, have been delegitimized in our in our culture. Um, you know, obviously the government and now the medical establishment is, is totally up for, you know, question for many people um, and religious authorities, intellectual authorities, the media, right? No one really has, has any trust in any kind of authority anymore. Um, it strikes me that that what you do in 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 apprentice an apprenticeship program um, really does rely to a certain degree on a legitimate uh, on on some form of of a teacherly authority. And I'm wondering, you know, how you cultivate that. What does that What does that look like? And have you found that to change over the time you've been doing these apprenticeships? Mm -hmm. That's a very complex question. <laughs> so. Um, so let me, um, yeah, let me just say this about that. Um, it, yes, it has changed. It's changed a lot and it's really important, um, for those of us who are in this type of role to think about what is needed. You know, I, I've shared with you that I respond to what the needs are. And so I really see a need for um, there to be more um, explanation about what's happening in the relationship and making sure that the, the students understand or, or apprentices, participants understand what is happening and why, because it's really important to me not to diminish my own wisdom in terms of having other people decide what I'm going to share. <laughs> because you can get really dissuaded, like, oh, I want to learn this. But it's like, well, but actually to go through an apprenticeship process, you have to learn something before you can learn that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So people will say, I want to learn how to make tinctures. I'll give you a practical example. And I'll say, well, you need to learn the plants first. 
before you can start making tinctures. <laughs> you need to know something about the plant and build a relationship with them. And so in really having, I'm feeling like I need to explain that more, why I'm making those choices to do something, to share something before I share the next thing that the person thinks they want to learn, <laughs> if that makes sense. Sure. And I didn't used to feel the need to explain it quite as fully as I do now. Um, and I find that if the students understand, it's easier for them to go through the process rather than being in a hurry to get to the end goal, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really grateful because I think early on, I couldn't have explained it either. You know, because of my years of experience, I, I have some capacity to explain that. But I know when I was younger, I, I might have been going through that same process, but I might not have been able to have as much capacity to explain why I'm going, why we're going through the process the way we're going through it. Does that, does that make sense? And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it resonates also with my experience as a teacher, um, you know, primarily in, you know, alternative or in a very small teaching environments. But, you know, I think I've gotten into the habit of just as a matter of course, always explaining kind of the theory behind the order of things and the, and the goals of, of the class, um, you know, not assuming that that would be taken for granted. Um, I, I'm wondering if you, if you encounter, you know, people who are not, who just are not going to go with that, or is there, is there, is there ways that that doesn't work out? Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's not, you know, for everyone. And I say to people a couple things, one is you get to choose whether you're involved or not. You're not um, chained. <laughs> you know, you do get to choose. Um, and when you're in a learning environment, you're not going to quote unquote agree with everything. Mm -hmm. You have to have the experience, and then you can sort. As long as you know you're you're feeling like you're getting. Um, you know, wisdom and, and you're having a positive experience, even if it's challenging. And then when you leave an apprenticeship experience, you have a lot of sorting to do and see what resonates for you and leave the rest behind. And that's how, um, at least that was my experience in my apprenticeship programs. I didn't um, find every aspect of my apprenticeship to be something that I took with me because not all of it resonated. Right. <laughs> you know? Like the communication style of one of my teachers, what didn't resonate with me. And I, I love her dearly. And I learned so much from her uh, about a lot of things, but I chose to study nonviolent communication. And she very clearly told me she wasn't interested in that mode of communication. And I respected that. That's her choice, but, but it's my choice too choose to integrate that into what I learned from her. So I think that there has to be a mutual responsibility in that too, that it's important for participants to know that they can take what resonates and that eventually they're going to leave some things behind and they should. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's really a delicate um, thing. Um, I mean, I think that we, we've come to think about, uh, education in our time as a transfer of information right maybe skills and information right some very like specific measurable things um if you go you know back into 
to, you know, another thing that, that Zach Stein said in our conversation that resonated is that every previous form of education from every culture that we know of was conceived of as, as a spiritual education, right? As a, whether it was run by the church or whether it was a, the, the kind of medicine man or woman in a village or whether it was, you know, it was, it was another form of education. It primarily was inner formation, formation of character, formation of, you know, a person's kind of uh, you know, moral and ethical and, and, and kind of spiritual qualities. Um, and you got to think that I got to think that that's, that's, you know, really comes up in talking about plants and talking about health and talking about, you know, dealing with people's, um, kind of inner and outer life. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's central and I know there are places where you can just learn the constituents of plants and a more medical model of plant, um, knowledge, and it's interesting because I've studied with uh, one of my teachers is from New Zealand. She's a medical herbalist. And I actually chose to study with her. I've chosen my teachers very specifically. I actually would encourage people who are listening, who are looking to apprentice or study something, choose your teachers, choose them wisely and carefully. Um, think about it. What do you want in a teacher? What does a teacher offer you? So I chose her as my teacher. I met her um gosh, almost 30 years ago. And um, I met her here in the States at a workshop, but I really loved where she was coming from. I love that she had medical herbal knowledge, which actually in this country, because of the history of herbalism, it actually, herbalism kind of stopped being uh, a modality for a good number of years in this country, because we really um, bought into scientific medicine in a way that just threw herbs out with the bathwater, at least in Western culture. Of course, indigenous people, that wasn't true, but for um, Western the Western mind. But in other cultures around the world, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so in this country, we tend to have a lot of folk herbalists who don't have a whole lot of clinical skills to apply. And I wanted those skills in addition to the relational skills and all of that. So I've spent a lot of time with her in New Zealand uh, studying and helping her with classes and programs. And I spent a lot of time bringing her here so I could learn from her <laughs> and okay. hosting classes with her as well. And so the last time I was there, she said to me, watch, because she's doing a lot of plant relationship classes and workshops now. She's in her 70s and she's not as interested in the medical aspect, actually. She's more interested in bringing people to her land and have them have that land-based experience. And she said, watch the students who come here are coming from a medically trained herbal program and they're afraid of plants. Mm -hmm. They're phytophobic. And I, I, when she said that, I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of, I, I didn't understand until I saw it. They really were. They were afraid because everything was, is this a contraindication? It was, it was very medical model focused. Whereas whole plants work so differently than plants that ha are, um, you know, re reduced to uh, their parts or, you know, prepared in a way that they're more drug-like are very different than whole plants. And so bridging that gap and bringing that together. And so I'm really grateful for my training, but I'm also grateful to live in a place where we really, um, I think we do embrace the plants more um, directly. And I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, relationship building on the human plant level. 
It's a really important part of it, clearly. Um, mm -hmm. And on that note, um, definitely one of the things I'd love to talk about uh, today is the the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, one of your one of your many creations and uh, and venues in which you're doing teaching and leadership um, in this world. Um, so this year is the 12th annual uh, Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, happening May 26th to 28th in Almond, Wisconsin. Yes. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about about the the origin and 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 the and and the present state of the the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. Sure. So the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, it's it's been an amazing adventure because it's turned into this internationally acclaimed conference that wasn't my original vision, um, but it's one, another thing where I think the universe had a different plan. <laughs> but I partnered early on before I started that conference with an organization called the United Plant Savers, and they were um, they're a conservation organization set up to protect medicinal plants. And I really encourage people to check them out. United Plant Savers, I'm guessing.com is their website. Um, but they were set up about, I don't know, 40 years ago to protect medicinal plants from the wild. People were over foraging and, um, and one of their projects is to seed herbal communities. And so they partnered with me on two different occasions in the Driftless area, actually, at the Kickapoo Reserve. We held um, several herbal conferences, and I, I, I didn't know how to put on a conference, so they um, partnered with me, and we brought the conference there, and we started seeding the herbal community here in this part of the country, and not to say there wasn't any herbal community here, but it was a little sleepy, <laughs> and so we started seeding it with those conferences and we did one after we started the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, but we, the first two were before the conference was even really an idea. So out of that, I got enough confidence to say, hey, let's put on a conference. And, you know, I've always been really um, dedicated throughout all my social work work and, you know, my herbal work to women's health and women's well-being. That's been a heartbeat of my work. So I thought, and there have been traditionally women's herbal conferences all over the country. That's <laughs> been regionally. And that's starting to change. There aren't as many as there used to be. And so we've actually grown into something probably bigger than we might have if those other conferences hadn't um, stepped out. But those seeded relationships with the United Plant Savers really did seed this conference and help it to grow. And so I thought, well, it'd be nice to get a bunch of women from the Midwest to gather and have a conference, the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. So we started out, we had 140 women at the first conference and we sold out really quickly and had a waiting list because our venue couldn't hold any more than 140 women. We held it at a beautiful um, spiritual retreat center in Northern Wisconsin called the Christine Center. Uh -huh. Have you been there? No, but I know of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a beautiful space. They have this beautiful round meeting room. And so it was a really special place to hold the first conference. We couldn't continue because it's too small for as we grew, but it was very, very special to hold it there the first year. And so it's grown into, it's been in existence for 12 years. We did hold two conferences virtually during the pandemic. 
Um, and then we went back into person in person last year and we're sold out very, very quickly. Women want to gather. We want to be together. It's, it's part of, um, how women communicate with each other. It's how we like to spend time in village together and share. And so it's just grown into this really beautiful sharing, knowledge-based, nurturing, nourishing environment and container. And it's gained an international reputation. We have had international instructors, um, instructors from all over. And in our virtual events, we were able to bring even more international <laughs> speakers, which is really fun. And then we also, not only do we highlight well-known speakers, we also have an avenue where new teachers um, can come in and propose workshops and teach as well. So we're really committed to that, bringing and mentoring new women into the community. So one of the things is in that conference that I don't think is always really as obvious as it is to me, because <laughs> I live, eat, and breathe it every day, practically, is that it mentors women in a lot of ways. Our coordinating team, those women get mentored into leadership roles, and they, oh my gosh, it's amazing to watch them come in and start working with the conference and develop into these really strong leaders in the community where they run programs and they support the team. We have a teen camp and support the kids camp and they run the dining hall and make sure everybody eats, you know, and they make nourishing herbal infusions for everybody all weekend long. And so it's been really fun to watch that leadership and then to watch the women who come year after year, after 12 years, you have women who are coming for a lot of years and they, and they are developing um, uh, friendships and connections and knowledge. And then some of them will start teaching. So there's all these levels of mentorship built into the way the conference runs. And that's really important, been important to me to have that be the case so that, you know, hopefully, I mean, really, as I get older, I think I really would like this conference to be passed on to some the younger generation at some point so it can um, continue this lineage because it is a conference that is modeled in the, um, in the realm of the village of the list. Yeah. And it's kind of implied in, in 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 some of what you've said, but you know this is this is pointedly this is the not just the Midwest Herbal Conference. This is the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. Like, what is it? What does it do to create a space like that that really is centered on on women? Can you clarify your question? Uh, why is it important to you that this this be you know focused on on women uh, mm -hmm. specifically as a uh, as 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 a women's conference? Mm -hmm. Well, women tend to be the um, caretakers. They they're the container holders. Um, women um, do a lot of the planning and organizing for their families and communities. So um, our um, idea is that when women gather that the whole community and get nourished because we want women to come and and get nourished and take in you know information but get loved and cared for that they go back out into their communities and they they that's what they share and spread and they bring that same sensibility out into the world i mean 
I'm a very, I think I told you earlier when we, when I was talking about my early days and deciding to go into social work, I wanted to change the world. <laughs> now, I don't think I'm going to change the world at this point, but I do think that women gathering in this way affects the world in a positive way. I really find that women, they walk away saying, oh, I feel so cared for. I felt so nourished. Now I have some energy, you know, because I mean, a lot of us, women and men, are depleted in this society. We are working so hard, and sometimes, I mean, there's just so many things that tire us out, and to go and be cared for and have three meals a day just delivered to you, and nourishing meals. We actually, um, at one point, I decided we really needed to have our own caterer because I wanted local food. I wanted nourishing food. I didn't want just food. <laughs> right. like I wanted something yeah. different. And for women who cook for their families every single day, day in and day out, and even for myself, you know, I cook for myself and I really try to cook as nourish as much nourishing food as I can. Sometimes you get overwhelmed and busy. And so being there for, you know, no matter, you can be at our conference for a whole week. We actually have immersions. And um, so whether you're there for a week or three days, you're getting this nourishing food presented to you over and over and over again, where you you don't even have to do the dishes unless you volunteer to help. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I mean, you just feel so cared for. And that is um, the heartbeat of what we're trying to do is create this place where um, women and girls and children, because, you know, we do have a children, a kids camp too, feel really cared for and nourished. And that when they walk away, they, they you know, feel um, like they have some energy to go back out into the world. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that those, those, temporary communities of a conference or a summer camp or something like that are, you know, um, for in all different kind of constellations of people are, are, you know, in these, um, a number of these interviews we've been doing on the podcast actually have come up as touchstone moments in people's lives, you know, that, that have placed them, you know, where they are today, or like they, they go back to as a, as a picture of education or of community that, that is influential to them. So mm -hmm. beautiful. So you also do um, the, the, the group, the Midwest Herbal, Herbal, Women's Herbal Conference uh, also does a, an event in the fall. Is that correct? We do. And the funny thing is, too, I, I almost wasn't I wasn't thinking about that, but to mention that. So that is going into its seventh year and it's called Mycelium Mysteries. It's a mushroom conference, <laughs> so mushrooms. And it grew out of our herbal conference which was very interesting because we held one fall herbal conference. We decided to hold a fall event for a bunch of different reasons. And I was out in the woods walking around and I couldn't step anywhere without stepping on a mushroom. <laughs> and I mean, it was a, it was like a really abundant mushroom year and it was, it was just amazing. And I thought, Oh my gosh, we need a mushroom conference. Yeah. <laughs> and it was almost like the mushrooms were like, Hey, what about us? You know? <laughs> so um so we decided to start a mushroom conference and it was really interesting because I went to my conference team and I told them of, of this idea and you know wanted to see what they thought and make sure they were on board I can't do any of this work without the help of other people I mean it, it's a big endeavor and so I need to make sure people want to do it and some of them were like well that's a nice idea but I don't like mushrooms <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> How can you say that? Mushrooms are the cornerstone of life. Like, if you don't have mycelium in the soil, you have nothing. <laughs> right. So, um, so that was really beautiful because then it was this education that started to happen about the role of mushrooms in the environment and the role they can play in our health and the relationships we can build with them. And it became really clear to me that the herbal world and the mushroom world were not mingling. There was there were very distinct camps. Like some people were mushroom people and some people were herbal. Different kingdoms of nature, as it were. <laughs> yes. So in some ways, we're doing some pioneering work by really merging the two of them, bringing them together. And then we've also underscored and highlighted a lot of uh, female mycologists who um, some of them, you know, academic, but some of them are, you know, um, you know, self-trained or, and it's been really wonderful um, to have that relationship because mushrooms are relational in nature. And I noticed a whole different energy between the herbal people and the mushroom people. And I'm a very collaborative type of person. I like to network and collaborate and work together. And so it dawned on me one year, I'm like, I think I'm more of a mushroom person. <laughs> I've been trying to fit myself with this herbal hat. <laughs> Maybe I'm more of a mushroom person, but I think I'm more of an integrated person. But yeah, so that's been an amazing journey with the mushrooms and um, really being able to bring people in to say, hey, you know, these are worth learning about and getting to know and women are excited and I see over the eight years we've been doing that like we have this incredible identification table that gets laid out every year and the watching women who come year in year year in and year out um starting to use more of the vocabulary feeling more confident in their identification skills um feeling like they know how to work with mushrooms for food and medicine more fully and cook them in a way that tastes good. Because some of those people who say, I don't like mushrooms, I think they're talking about those little canned slimy mushrooms that <laughs> they might have been fed as a kid or something. You know? so, and there's such a rich um, history of mushrooms when you look around the world and there, there's so many stories and, um, you know, they, they're older than plants. So, you know, they're ancient. It's it's a great example of just the way that you know your paradigm or the paradigm of a whole culture can can change. I think in the last decade that you know went from being you know fungi mushrooms were just they were invisible because they you know they were not animal vegetable or mineral right they're they're not listed right yeah yep. um, and and now I think you know I, I've experienced this also myself when you start to be aware of that whole dimension of life you start to see it everywhere mm -hmm. so the awareness of the importance of fungi to the soil and therefore to the health of the forest or trees or grassland health of you know fungi in the body in the gut you know and you know, medicinal and culinary and just also sort of technological kind of uses of fungi yes. um i think it, it all of a sudden it's everywhere right and 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 there's so many like things to learn and so many different you know fascinating different varieties that it's it's it was invisible until you started to see it right and your example of walking in, you know and, and thinking about the mushrooms that way is a great is a beautiful picture of that 
Well, and I think it's just another example of how my work always happens and is something presents itself. And so, you know, and it's the next thing. <laughs> like, it's not like I'm like, okay, I think I'll have a business plan. I'll start a mushroom conference. You know? <laughs> like, Pulling data like, shows. Yes. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm like, no more ideas. You know, yeah. <laughs> I tend to, you know, like, like to uh, manifest my ideas. No more. But um, but the mushroom event has just been a delight. And the women that I've worked with through that have been um have taught me a lot and stretched. You know, I feel like the mushroom mind has stretched me. And one of our speakers for um, you know, we're already planning our keynote speakers for the fall. Mm -hmm. And one of our speakers, she's actually um really an interesting lady. Her name's Dr. Cornelia Cho, and she's a pediatrician and a mycologist, and she's been studying brain science. <laughs> she's really interested in um, community and communication. She's done a lot of social justice work, too. She's going to do a presentation called The Mycelial Brain. Mm. <laughs> and I'm really excited to hear that her deliver that presentation, because um, I, I do see there is a mycelial brain. You know, there's a way, way of thinking about things differently that brings us together and connects us and um yeah so it's just it's really been an exciting um world to step into yeah i think that's a powerful metaphor that, that again is people you see emerging in different places you know the networks and and the way that information and nutrient flow in a, in a in a mycelial network yeah. Right. And just for people who are listening who um don't know what mycelium is, I, I you know, since I'm in that world now, I make that assumption. But right. the time <laughs> I didn't know what it was. So mycelium is the basically the root system of the mushrooms. It's the underground parts that grow and they um some of I mean they've found mycelium that's like two thousand acres of large right. <laughs> and it just stretches it used to I, I mean really it seems like it used to be that um most land the mycelium just went on you know forever but of course chemical agriculture and the Tillage. Land, yeah. yeah has has really changed and damaged the mycelium but it is that underground unseen um part of the mushroom and the mushrooms that we see coming up that's like the fruit of the mushroom you know if it's edible the part that we eat is kind of like a plucking an apple off a tree yeah Beautiful. Well, so Linda, um, thank you so much for your, your spending some time with us today. Um, if, if folks are interested in studying with Linda, um, one great way is to, to check out the Driftless Folk School um, mm -hmm. with classes currently scheduled right out through November. Um, although I would say get on, get on it because those classes fill up um, really throughout the year. Um, and can you say a little bit about how people might connect with your apprenticeships or with these conferences? Sure. So through for um, apprenticing with me or even taking other classes, other places, they can go to moonwiseherbs.com. So moonwiseherbs.com, Moonwise Herbs is my um, personal business. And then if they want to check out the conference, they can go to my um, 
midwestwomensherbal.com <laughs> so midwestwomensherbal.com and we've added a whole virtual component to our um, offerings at that website so if people want to just take a, a virtual course or listen to some virtual recordings there's a wealth of uh, information there uh, delivered by the instructors from our conferences so anyone can access that um, knowledge and information um, virtually Awesome. All right. Well, worthwhile. Check it out. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Linda. Thank you, Jacob. It was a pleasure.